it was a really wonderful place for me, I think, to grow as a Christian and as a Christian theologian. It was not just an academic enterprise, but it was also very personally enriching for me to encounter such a broad perspective of our rich, uh, diverse tradition. You're listening to Crafting Theology, presented by the St. Louis University Department of Theological Studies. On this podcast, we talk to scholars about the key life experiences that shaped the direction of their research. We hope these conversations illuminate both the how and the why of theological studies in a changing world. Hi, I'm Craig Sanders, a PhD student in Christian theology at St. Louis University. And joining me for this episode of Crafting Theology is James Ambrose Lee, Assistant Professor of Theology at Concordia University, Chicago. James is back on St. Louis University's campus this week to defend his dissertation in historical theology. James, thanks for joining us in what I imagine is a pretty stressful time, so I'm really grateful for this. It's my pleasure, Craig. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be back. Yeah, so now you're approaching the finish line, and you know we'll update this in our editing process to, up, <laughs> to tell people the good news. You know, I'm in my second year in the PhD program, and so I'm eager to know, and, and I'm sure our listeners may find this helpful, but what was your routine for writing your dissertation? How did you stay productive? <laughs> How did I stay productive? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I think the first thing was when I started in the program, there were a few people ahead of me, Three people in particular, actually four, that I looked to as models and examples, and I just saw how dedicated they were and working at it every day and realizing that in a dissertation there's great freedom, (laughs) but knowing that I work best with structure and rules and regulation, and so I had to order my day as if it was being ordered by somebody else. Um, So I just treated it kind of like a job, and went at it every day for, but breaking up time, uh, a few of us in my cohort started working where you would, we'd work together, work for set periods of time, take a break, set periods of time, take a break, rather than trying to go at two hour blocks of time or something like that. Sometimes that was productive, but treating, but then the problem is, as you, you know, when you start writing most of your dissertation here, you're also starting to teach. So you're trying to figure out how to write a dissertation as you're trying to figure out how to teach. And both of those things are wholly consuming projects. Yeah. But it it worked. So it, just working every day, talking with friends to see how their writing is going. And I tried different ways of writing. Uh, I experimented in my first few chapters to see if I could find a, a type of way between reading, note-taking, outlining, and writing that worked better. I definitely found one that didn't work. So, yeah, it was it was kind of experimental. I don't know if that's that helpful. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I mean, I think it, you know, everybody has something that works for them. Yeah. But even when it works for you, there's always some aspect of that that can be instructive for someone else. And I think something that was difficult for me was learning to be able to work in small chunks of time. Mm. I think as I started and was working through the program, I always thought I can't do any work unless I have an hour or an hour and a half or more time to get into it. But by the end, 
Sometimes you only get 20 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes, and maybe you just work on two sentences. But that can be just as beneficial and fruitful as uh, of an activity than an hour chunk of time. Mm-hmm. So just making the most with what you have and just... Uh, sculpting away at it like um, you know but yeah it was it was it was challenging but invigorating so i mentioned in the intro that your middle name is ambrose yeah uh, which i imagine you include to distinguish yourself from all the other james lee (laughs) yeah Uh, but but what is your family background to be given such a name like ambrose i mean i know you're a second so your father also had Mm -hmm. that name Uh, But what was your family background, and how was that formative for the person and theologian you are today? As a kid, you know, it was just a family name, and I didn't like it because there's, uh, (laughs) in kindergarten, there was a girl in my class named Amber, and as a, you know, five-year-old kid, I thought Amber sounded like Ambrose, and I didn't want to have a girly name. And then I learned to like it because my favorite basketball player in first grade was David Robinson, and his father was Ambrose Robinson, Uh, so I was like, oh, this is a, 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 a cool name. As I got more interested in theology growing older, because my dad just said it was a family name, mm. and I found out that my, neither of my parents grew up in a religious context. My dad was baptized, but his mom died when he was really young, and no one was, no one mm. was devout. My parents became Christian when I was a child, and my mom and I were actually baptized together. But I remember finding out I St. Ambrose has in an older calendar, a different feast day than he does now. Mm. And it's, it corresponds very close to my dad's birthday. And so I thought, well, perhaps this was when he was baptized and that's where he got the name. And I created this whole idea, but no, Ambrose, we have Ambrose Lee's back in our family. Mm. Like I have a great grandfather who was a Ambrose Lee. So it was just a, just a family name. Um, but I grew up in a, in a devout home, even though my parents weren't they weren't raised Christian. They became Christian when I was about one. My mom and I were baptized together. And yeah, that was a central part of my my life. I went to an Episcopal school, then went to Lutheran education since then, uh, junior high onward. Mm-hmm. And I've been Lutheran, Lutheran my entire, almost my entire life. So. And you are an ordained Lutheran minister, mm-hmm. and uh, you're just completing your PhD at a Catholic Jesuit university. Uh, so I'm, I'm a Baptist, so yeah. I mean, I'm kind of asking this question with some knowledge of my own situation. But uh, what was beneficial about the program here at St. Louis University, and how did the theological diversity in the program shape your research? Uh, how was that helpful for you? It was good. Um, so I graduated seminary in 2010, and then I did an extra year there. And then I went and did an STM, and the STM year was a very formative year. For That was the first time mm. that I studied theology in an environment where I was, where Lutheranism was the minority, mm. and I was surrounded by a host of different opinions, views, and that was a very eye-opening, challenging, and positive experience. But it was much more of a progressive Mm-hmm. And there are different different visions of Christianity and different approaches to theology. But that really, I think, set me up well for coming here and being exposed to a rich Catholic tradition, but also diverse, as, as mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially I think when I started here, there were a lot of faculty that were not Roman Catholic as well. So it was nice to 
be able to study, I don't know, like different approaches to ultramontanism mm-hmm. or 17th century Catholic Spanish mysticism or spirituality, and then at the same time do talk with someone who is a Protestant but from a different background than mm-hmm. me. And I think that as a Lutheran, you know, we, we understand church history to be, we are a part of church history. You know, church history does not begin for us in the 16th century. <laughs> and so an opportunity to take a class on Bonaventure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a theologian and saint and doctor of the church that I had not studied that uh, intently before, being able to have a class with, you know, one of the world's uh, preeminent Bonaventure scholars and just really dive into that and learn that part of my tradition and to be able to see how different strands of Christian thought and Christian theology correspond with my own branch of that tradition. I, it made me more appreciative of the tradition that I'm a part of and represent, but then also at the same time incredibly um, grateful of the broader Christian tradition. And even... At, you know, I'm an ordained uh, Lutheran pastor, and there are things that obviously I disagree with, but even when I can't agree or consent to a specific proposition, I could still come to appreciate it from a historical mm-hmm. theological perspective and uh, recognize the reasons why someone would hold that. And there's, there's grounds to articulate the faith in this type of way, even if I ultimately can't come to that position as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a wonderful, it's just, it was a really wonderful place for me, I think, to grow as a Christian and as a Christian theologian. It was not just an academic enterprise, but it was also very personally enriching for me to encounter such a broad perspective of our rich, uh, diverse tradition. Yeah, and I think people, I mean, coming from a confessional Protestant background, it can seem maybe intimidating at first to go to a, to a Jesuit university yeah. uh, outside of your tradition, but but obviously you've encountered that it was that it was enriching for you, and so I think that's helpful for maybe some of our listeners who uh, come from a different background and aren't sure how this would fit, you know. And and, and I think that that's a probably helpful perspective. There's definitely some historical irony that as a Lutheran, a devout Lutheran, <laughs> going to a Jesuit university yeah. and studying, you know, Ignatius, studying his exam in his life and biography and just how much they despised Lutheranism, but also, you know, how, how much Lutherans despised uh, 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 Roman Catholics. So it was, it, there, there was an opportunity for a lot of humor too. So that, yeah. was, that, was, that was nice. When we were talking about your dissertation, you were saying that, you know, while you were writing, you were balancing out teaching responsibilities mm-hmm. But uh, how was that, that teaching opportunity that you got in the program uh, helpful for you in preparing you for your role now at Concordia Chicago? I would, I, I hesitate to say, to speak this broadly, or, but it was almost foundational. I came into the program not certain if I wanted to teach. Hmm. I th- honestly, I thought I'd get a PhD and then just uh, serve a parish full time. And then with my PhD and parish work, I would be able to serve the church in maybe a number of capacities. But I didn't necessarily think teaching was one of them. In fact, I told people I didn't want to teach. Mm. And 
TAing was fine, but as you probably know, you know, TAing, it's not your own, you're not running the ship, you're working for somebody else, and it was fun, I enjoyed it, but my first experience was doing a survey of church history. Hmm. I was asked to do that, and I absolutely loved it. And coming straight out of our coursework and comps, I felt very uh, competent and confident in doing that. And I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes as a first-time <laughs> teacher, but I loved it. The interaction with students, uh, prepping, lecturing, working with them, and getting them engaged in seeing, this sounds so generic, uh, but seeing, you know, the lights going off and seeing people who had said at the beginning that they weren't that interested either Mm -hmm. in in Christianity and specifically, you know, church history or historical theology and seeing them by the end become very engaged in the topic. That did it for me. Mm -hmm. I realized that this is what I want to do. And I think I have the capacity to at least be decent at it, hopefully good with practice and refinement and working at it. And so I owe the time here teaching. Yeah, I would not be where I am today if it weren't for those experiences. Mm -hmm. And then the continued opportunity here at SLU to teach church history on a number of different occasions, to teach theological foundations. Every one of those experiences was really positive and affirmed me that this was the type of vocational direction I want to go, and that I felt that perhaps God was leading me down. Mm-hmm. Not to say that going back into the parish full-time, would that would have been great as well, and I struggled with that and prayed about that a lot. But yeah, I owe SLU and the theology department for really awakening this possibility for me. So even though it was challenging to manage your dissertation and your teaching responsibilities at the same time, Overall, like, uh, I mean, it was definitely helpful for your career path now. Uh, How did that maybe even help your dissertation to balance that teaching responsibilities uh, while you were writing as well? It forced me to have to be able to juggle two incredibly time-demanding tasks at the same time. Mm -hmm. Both of them... Obviously, you could be a full-time professor and use all of your time prepping. Especially as a new teacher, I had to use a lot of time prepping. And that first semester teaching, I did not really do any work on my dissertation until the end of the semester. And I remember just spending long hours writing Hmm. and saying, I'm not going to, I have to devote this time to researching. So it was good. Uh, You only learn to do that by actually being forced to do it. Hmm. And so I hope now that's paying off for what I'm doing right now. I'm, you know, I have a 4-4 course load, and I'll continue to have a 4-4 course, course load, and having that many different preps, and then everything that comes with it, grading, lecturing, interacting with students, and then trying to figure out how to carve out time to read and hmm. research I've not really done any writing yet because I've been, you know, preparing for preparing for coming here and defending. But I think the kind of crucible of fourth and fifth year dissertation time here where you're teaching and writing really can create, you know, uh, this habitus of, hmm. of, of 
a discipline for teaching and for research and writing. Well, your dissertation title, uh, let me make sure I get this right, is Neo-Lutheranism and German Theological Wissenschaft, Adolf Harless, August Vilmar, and Johann Christian Conrad von Hoffmann. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about this project. What's the big idea and what unique contribution does this project make? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of back my way into it. Um, I'll start with the three figures because the, the, the three names are the people that were most interesting to me. Hmm. I came here wanting to study a 19th century German Lutheran theological phenomena known as, in English, Neo-Lutheranism. There was one particular figure that I wanted to study and working my way through my courses, I'd written some papers, done some research, and I was taking a independent reading class with Dr. Michael McClymond and trying to discern a dissertation topic. And that was not going very well. But I was also taking a seminar on the atonement that was team taught by uh, the theology faculty and the philosophy faculty. Mm -hmm. And in that class, I was writing a paper on one Neo-Lutheran's response, his name was uh, Theodor Kleefot, to uh, Hoffman's Doctrine of the Atonement. And I was working through that, and Dr. McClymond said, well, why don't you write on the atonement? Oh, okay, Th there's this atonement controversy from Hoffman's, uh, Hoffman's uh, Theology of the Atonement. Uh, Hoffman basically denied the standard Orthodox Lutheran position of the mm -hmm. atonement. He denied the vicarious nature of Jesus' death. He, divide, he, he denied that there's any concept of divine wrath and all of that. So this topic wasn't new. There'd been some research on it before, but it had been a while, and no one had done a major comprehensive like, study of it, something of a monograph. So I thought I would do that. So that summer, I'm reading all about the atonement, reading a lot of primary sources, and then I was reading a book by this German uh, theological historian who teaches at Oxford by the name of uh, Johannes Zakhuber. Mm -hmm. And his book was called, um, the f exact title forgets me, but like The Science of Theology in 19th Century Germany. And so I'm reading that, and I'm reading these primary sources at the same time. And I see this third, uh, the German word for science, Wissenschaft. All, that's what uh, Zach Huber's book is about. He looks at Schleiermacher, F.C. Bauer, and Albrecht Ritschel, and the development of Wissenschaft within this 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, and 50s throughout Germany and what that meant. And as I'm reading this monograph and I'm reading these primary sources by Hoffmann, Kleefot, and others, I just see the word Wissenschaft all mm. over the place. And I didn't really know what it meant. And I started seeing that it came, it, it dawned on me that Hoffman's understanding of the atonement was somehow connected to his understanding of theology as a Wissenschaft or theology as science. So I'm doing my prospectus work on this idea of doing a paper, my dissertation on the atonement controversy. And Dr. McClyman, as he is prone to do, says, well, you're saying all of this, but it sounds like you actually want to do this. And we had a uh, come to Jesus moment, and I was I was a little worried because I'd been I'd spent the last four or five months researching this atonement topic, and he told me it sounds like you really are doing a project on theology and science or theology and Wissenschaft, and that's kind of what I had been doing, and having that conversation with Dr. McClyman was incredibly helpful for me to see the work that I had been work that was in front of me. And so what 
I ended up doing was looking at three neo-Lutheran theologians, as you mentioned, uh, Harless, Willemar, and uh, Hoffman. Harless and Hoffman were colleagues for a brief period of time at Erlangen University in the 19th century, and Willemar was, Willemar is kind of the anomaly. Hmm. So, Wissenschaft, the idea of science, really came to a prominent place within the 19th century German academic context due to Kant. Um, And due to Kant and then the rise of the research university, which I'm painting in real broad strokes here, but with uh, the creation of the University of Berlin in 1810, Mm -hmm. that is really when having a university dedicated to science really came into its own. But at this time, when we think of sciences in an Anglophone context, for us, it's the hard sciences, right? Biology, chemistry, so on and so forth. But that's not what the word sciences historically meant. And, you know, uh, theology was the queen of the sciences mm-hmm. for centuries, but what did that mean? And it's at this time, at the end of the 18th century into the 19th century, where the term science begins to take on a different meaning. And at that time, the idea of science was uh, permeated by a German idealistic concept of the connection between the ideal and the real where knowledge and then ultimately science is a some type of manifestation of absolute knowledge from the absolute and this was this revolutionized various disciplines not just philosophy but uh, what we now call the hard sciences but then also theology. Mm -hmm. And there were debates about, well, then how do, if this is what science is, how do independent disciplines become scientific or wissenschaftlich? And what did it mean for theology? Could theology become a science? What did it mean for it to be a wissenschaft? And so I, my first two chapters deal with the philosophical and theological context kind of writ large. Mm what was going on outside of this neo-Lutheran group. Neo-Lutheranism comes to its own in the 1840s and 1850s in response to a number of different things. Uh, Kind of a liberal theology and a rationalistic theology. The Prussian Union, the attempt to force Lutherans and Reformed into one church and one type of theology. And then also a recovery of the German Lutheran confessional texts Mm. and a recovery of this lost Lutheran identity and their attempt to hold that but to also do theology within a university that was seen to be academic and also potentially scientific. And so I look at these three different theologians and how they wrestled with the relationship of theology to this notion of science. Could theology be a science? And if not, well, should it be in the university? Well, I mean, obviously there's an important element in this discussion for what university education does look like today with all this emphasis on STEM education. Um, So how would you think about this project in terms of working in a university context to make sure those other disciplines are integrated and have that theological emphasis? I remember uh, James K. Smith, mm-hmm. a few years back in his Desiring the Kingdom, talked about that. That was, when was that written? I don't remember. Seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. And 
I returned to that book at the end of my dissertation as I was getting ready to teach full time. And yeah, his, his, his challenge and critique and questions have in a, a certain way haunted me. Hmm. And I'm at a Lutheran university that is, seeks to be devout and confessional and faithful to our Lutheran confessions and to uh, Christianity as a whole. But yeah, how, how does theology relate to all of these other disciplines? Mm. And it does not seem to be the case that a lot of people are, are working with that understanding that we all form a greater unity, mm. except for the fact that we're all a part of a large universe. We're all a part of a university and we're colleagues, but there's no, I think, any type of Again, to hearken back to the German idealists, there's no type of organic structuring. Hmm. So at least it seems that way to me. And I don't think that's not just my university. I think that's a problem affecting universities writ large, especially any type of university that deals with theology. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this is a great discussion. I'm really glad you were uh, willing to devote the time uh, in in preparation for the defense later this week. Um, and so I wish you all the best this week and hope we can uh, connect again soon. Thank you, Gary. It was my pleasure. And uh, I liked, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thanks for listening. James Lee successfully defended his dissertation in November and is now in his second semester as a tenure track professor at Concordia University, Chicago. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe we have more on the way. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen. And please leave us a review. This episode was produced and edited by Craig Sanders. For more information on St. Louis University's Department of Theological Studies, visit slu.edu theology. And now, here's a preview from our next episode with our guest, Johannes Zakuber. Well, I grew up in a world that probably most people who would tune into this um, a podcast will find almost impossible to imagine. I grew, I grew up in, in communist East Germany. Um, so I, I grew up in a, in a, in a Christian family, um, and that meant a lot because it meant a, uh, because, because the entire environment in which I operated wasn't just not Christian or not religious, but was... Um, decidedly anti-religious, um, and it was um, so. So, so the way I experienced the reality of of, of the Christian faith um, um, as as a child and a, and, a, and a young person was as something you know perhaps the word that we would use today as countercultural. I always feel mm. you know back then it was really countercultural because everything. Um, that existed, whether it was television or it was the educational system or it was um, or was the was the academy to the extent that that it was permitted was was geared in conscious opposition to the claims by uh, made made by a religion such as such as Christianity.